If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 2 this morning, Philippians chapter 2, we have been in a study of the book of Philippians, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. I know it's been a blessing to me uh, just diving in and studying the book of Philippians. And this morning, I want to talk uh, about uh, this morning how the effects of Jesus uh, should change our lives, how the effects of, of what Jesus has done for us uh, how it changes our lives, or, or at least how it should change our lives as, as believers. And so Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18 is where we'll be. During my senior year of college, I was preparing to graduate, and upon preparing to graduate, our, the college that I went to, they would have what they would call a ministry job fair, which essentially what that was, was uh, people would uh, uh, send jobs into the college. And so there at the college, uh, they would invite those people who've sent jobs in to come on campus and kind of have a one-stop shop uh, and have a bunch of interviews at one time. And so this was a, a very stressful time for seniors. You know, you're trying to figure out who wants you and where the Lord wants you to go. And so I remember this was a very stressful time. And it would kind of just be lined up in a room like this. You just go here, have a quick 20-minute interview and they liked you, they'd have you do an interview the next day and just kind of go down the line trying to uh, find places that were a good fit for you. And I remember I was so frustrated after that uh, weekend of interviews because I really did not have a good interview. It felt like nobody wanted Travis Burke. Like I could not, I honestly did not get one out of all the interviews I took. I did not get one second interview out of all those. You said, well, they, they probably heard you preach, right? Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I didn't get one. So I remember I was so frustrated and re- really just disappointed that, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do with, with my life? I want to go into ministry. And I remember going to a professor that I enjoyed, I had a high respect for, and I, said, and I just kind of unleashed him my depression and all these things. And and I'll never forget what he said uh, because he says, Travis, I wouldn't hire you either. And I said, I'm like, what? what? What are you talking about? And he says, hey, I wouldn't hire you either. You still have a lot to work, of work to do. You still have a lot of growing to do. And one, and, and one way he, you could say he said this, you still have a lot to work out. And, and I'll never forget, I was taken back by that. I was uh, even frustrated, and I didn't like him in those moments. Uh, and I remember I even got a job finally in ministry in Oklahoma. And I remember doing the first year of ministry with him on my mind. Like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. You, you wouldn't hire me, right? I had that mentality going into it. But the, but the reality is with that mentality, is a poor mentality, he was right. He was right. I've come to the conclusion that, that he was right in that moment because, because I had a passion to preach Jesus, but I wasn't allowing the effects of what Jesus did in my life to continue to change my life. And that's what he was getting at. You weren't allowing what Christ has done to continue daily to conform you into the image of God. And so Paul will... This morning, he'll encourage the church of Philippi to see what Jesus has done in chapters 2, verses 1 through 11. We saw that last week, to see what Christ has done and how what Christ has done should absolutely change your life, but it should continue to change your life even more day in and day out. He'll use the word, work out your salvation. And so we're going to dive in this morning. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in which I love working out. And there are seasons which I hate working out. Maybe that's you too. The seasons which I love working out 
are the seasons where the results are coming in, right? Maybe you've, you've been on a diet and it's been rough the first couple weeks because your body hasn't adjusted. You haven't lost that much weight, but then, but then you stay faithful and it kicks in and then you love the diet when you lose the weight and you love working out when you look in the mirror and see the growth, but you hate it at first because there's no growth. There, there are seasons I love it. When I see the results, I love working out, but, but the seasons that I hate it are when I haven't picked it up in a while. Right, right now, moving, to, moving, to, moving from Pittsburgh to here, I haven't touched the gym or a weight or anything. I'm going to touch one this morning. But I haven't touched it, and so I dread the day I'm going to get back into the gym because, because it's going to be work. Why? Because, because you can't get to a point in your workout or in your, in your diet that you look in the mirror and say, I like where this is at, pause. <laughs> Because it takes con- constant maintenance. It takes, it takes work to, to strengthen. And, and that's what he's going to get at this morning. Paul's going to essentially tell Philippi that spiritual maturity will not take its course on its own. Spiritual maturity in our life will not happen on its own. We need to work to become stronger in our faith. I love what D.A. Carson says. He put it this way. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. They don't drift towards holiness. He says, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not uh, gravitate towards godliness. They don't gravitate towards prayer. They don't gravitate towards obedience to scripture or faith or delighting in God's word. He says, they drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. They drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. They drift towards superstitions and call it faith. We cherish the indisciplines of a loss of self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slash, slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide into, into godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. I love that. It's such a profound statement in which he gives to essentially say that spiritual maturity will not happen on its own. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes growth is what he'll say. The reality is I believe that God intends for the Christian life to be a continual progress towards who Christ has called us to be. It should, be, it should be a progress. We should continue to, to grow spiritually because Christ has done a work in us and for us. He now wants to work through us. He now wants to work out of us. We all know people who maybe even used to sit in a chair right next to you who, who no longer walk with Jesus. Uh, I, I have friends who uh, was in that same interview process that got jobs that I wanted who no longer believe. Why? Because, because the effects of Christ didn't continue to work in their lives. They stopped spiritually maturing. They stopped growing in their faith, and they actually decreased. And so uh, I believe Paul will show us how we continue can continue to go. So recap, Paul is writing to Philippi, and last week we saw a, a, a theologically rich passage of Scripture talking about the humility of Jesus, how he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, but then Christ was exalted. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue should, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul says, this should affect everything for you, Philippi. This should absolutely change how you live your life. And I believe it's important to understand this because in order for us to really do what God calls us to do, we must have an appropriate uh, reality of what Christ has actually done for us. 
in order for us to achieve what God has called us to achieve and follow the will of God that God has for us, we need to know exactly what Christ has done and lay a proper foundation. And I believe he does this, which is why now he'll say in verse 12, therefore, my beloved, therefore, my beloved, I love this word beloved because he's really saying that those who I've esteemed is what he's saying. Which, if you remember last week, he tells us to esteem others, which is essentially him saying, hey, I've put my, my encouragement to you to practice. I've esteemed you. Those I've beloved, what's he say? As you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Would you pray with me? And then we'll dive in to the scriptures this morning. Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this a time that we've had to worship and even sing in a new song. Well, what a joy it's already been to be in your house and just sing praises to you. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us right now as we dive into your word. Lord, give me clarity of thought. Lord, may your words uh, reach much deeper than mine. And Lord, may you encourage us, help us, convict us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Notice the first thing I want to look at this morning is the effects of Jesus. Jesus should move us to work out. What Christ has done for us should move us to want to work out. He says, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. I think it's important to lay this context that he's speaking to believers here. He says, my beloved, those I've esteemed as you have already obeyed. He's speaking to believers. There's some sort of spiritual fruit in their life that they have faith. He says, as you've obeyed. As you've already been following after Jesus, as you've already kept the faith, and and this is a proper place to lay context because uh, in this passage there's a lot of misinterpretations that we need to be careful with. So we need to, in the context, understand that he's speaking to believers here. As you have always obeyed, and he says, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul says, as Jesus was obedient uh, unto death, even the death of the cross, so should you live obedient. Paul says, I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again. I don't know. I may, I may not, as you've always obeyed, not just in my presence, not just when, when, when dad's home, but, but always follow after God. Be obedient unto God. What Christ has done in your life should cause you to be, live an obedient life for Christ is essentially what he is saying. And the point that Paul's making is not be obedient to gain God's favor, You have that because of Christ. The point that Paul's making is that we, because of what Christ has done, you should want to pursue him more. You should want to become closer to the image of God, to the image of Christ. You should want to follow after Christ. This is what you should crave, and so live obedient. This, the effects of Jesus, should cause us to want to work out in obedience. But, But this effect really leads us to two questions that we have to ask before we really work out. The first one is this, what effect does Jesus play? What effect is salvation? Well, we know Jesus offers us salvation. And so what is salvation? Salvation is deliverance from sin and the consequences of it. Salvation is because Jesus died for our sins and he offers us salvation where we can uh, believe in faith upon him and we can be saved. We can be free from sin and the consequences of it and live in union, united with Jesus. That, that's salvation and it's proper that we understand it because the Bible says that you need to work it out. What's that mean? What's, what's that mean? Well, we need to be obedient to it. Some will actually say that this means we need to work our way to heaven. Some will say that we need to help 
God uh, finish the work of Christ. Some will say that we need to do some things to work our way to heaven. But understand the context. We've already said it. This, this is to my beloved. This is to believers. They, they already have salvation. This is not talking about gaining salvation. This is talking about growing in it. It's talking about strengthening your salvation because salvation is not attained by my work, but salvation is attained by the finished work of Jesus. That the final sacrifice of the blood atonement of Jesus was sufficient for the eyes of God. And as Jesus says, it is finished, he meant it. Jesus isn't a liar. It it is finished. It It is complete. And so it's not talking about achieving salvation. It's talking about growing in your faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 will say this. For by grace, right? For by the grace of God, by by the grace of Jesus, are we saved through our faith. Not of ourselves, not of baptism, not of works, not of achievement, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. And then he goes on and says in verse 10, which I think is, is, is appropriate right here. For we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That that's what God's, that's what Paul's speaking of here. We are now, after we're saved, we are his workmanship and God has a will for us. God has a predestined purpose for our life that he wants to work out of us. And that's what Paul is addressing. And so we are saved. That's a work of God. Now we're called to good works and we should want to do these good works, not because we have to, to attain it, but because we should want to walk in them because we love God. Because we love Jesus. This is not about gaining salvation. It's about growing stronger in it. And personally, I don't know why some struggle with this concept personally. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'll try to be sensitive. But, but because we use this language today. If I was to say, hey, I want you to go home and work out. I would say, uh, I want you to go home and work out your biceps, your arms. I'm not telling you you do not have arms. I'm not telling you you do not have biceps, although some of yours may be small. I'm not telling you you don't have biceps, right? Uh, I'm saying you have them, but if you work them out, they can become stronger. I'm not saying go find some surgeon and implant larger biceps so you can work them out. That's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have them, but if you, want to, if you want them to be stronger, you need to work them out. That's what Paul's saying. Exercise your faith so that it grows, so that it becomes stronger is essentially what Paul is telling us to do. But notice it's personal. It's, it's exercise your own. It's you. Exercise your faith. We're good at pointing out other people need to exercise or other people need to grow in their faith or other people need this message or other people need this. And then he says exercise your own. It's about you. Work on, on yourself And so uh, the second question we need to ask is what's the context in Philippi? Because it's important never to lose sight of the context of Philippi because he's going to say exercise your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is 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 fascinating words in the Greek language. The word fear is the word phobios, which is where we get our English word phobia. And the word trembling is the Greek word tremos, which is where we get, and I don't know if I'm saying those right, but it is where we get our word trauma. And the word with means in the midst of. And so he says, exercise your faith essentially in the midst of phobia and trauma. (laughs) Sounds awesome, right? (laughs) Sounds like a great time that we're going to have together. What's he saying? Exercise your faith past the point of your comforts. That's what he says. Exercise your faith past the point of your comforts. Because notice, the, notice the, the context, they were not comfortable. They were facing persecution, right? 
that they had some level of persecution going on in, in their city. Paul obviously was in prison. Evil Emperor Nero was in charge. And we've already said many times, he was not a good guy. He actually hated Christians. He's gonna release Paul, but then he's gonna end up killing Paul, essentially, uh, is what he's going to do. And, and he, he's the guy who hates Christians. He, he's after Christians. He's the guy who dips them in oil and lights them for lights in his garden. He's the guy who captures them, wraps them in animal skins, and sends beasts upon them uh, so that they can tear them apart for this, his enjoyment. Evil guy, persecution heavy. And he says, in that, in that context, exercise your faith past the point of comfort. Why? So that everybody, so it may be evident all around you that you actually follow Jesus, that you actually follow, follow God. That's why we need to grow. We need to grow. We need to exercise our faith because we're in persecution, because persecution's near. We need to be spiritually strong, but we also need to be spiritually strong so it's evident to those around us that we follow Jesus. So we need to exercise our faith uh, in, in all things. And I don't know about you, but, but this is heavy for, for me to wrap my head around. That, that this is what the early church faced. <laughs> that, is, that is intense. I may face an awkward encounter with a waitress sharing the gospel, but they faced aggressive beasts for the gospel. That I may face a dirty look for, for being a Christian, but they faced demonic emperors. That, that's, what, that's what they faced. Sometimes I... Always, when I read scripture, sometimes like, oh, man, wouldn't it be so cool to walk in Paul's shoes? Or wouldn't it be so cool to, man, what boldness. If I could be as bold as Paul or if I could be as confident as Paul. Or, oh, God, if you could use me like you use Paul, man, that would be awesome. But then whenever I sit there and actually study, like, the, the, the commitment that Paul had to God, then I sit there and reflect, like, is my commitment level to God hindering me from doing what God has actually called me to do? Like, am I committed enough? If I'd only commit a little bit more to God, if I'd only sacrifice a little bit more to God, if, if I'd only uh, be a step out of my comfort zone a little bit more for God, what, what God could potentially do in my life. Because when we read even the life of Paul, we see Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. And after that, he had this like passion this commitment to be uncomfortable for the cause of the gospel. Remember he goes and he preaches to everybody and people are actually like, whoa, this guy's fake. He's trying to, what's he trying to do? Is he trying to set us up, kill us? What do you do? And so what happens? They ship him back to Tarshish. And he goes to Tarshish and, and he spends essentially 10 years in Tarshish waiting. I don't know how frustrating that would be. This, this guy who, who he's, he's already tried to preach many times. People are kind of stand, standoffish about him. And then God says, hey, why don't you go back to Tarshish and wait? What does he do? He waits. He builds tents. He's, he's patient. He's faithful. He's walking with God and so, and until Barnabas comes and he gets Paul in, in Acts 11 and he starts his earthly ministry, his, really his ministry after that. And so when I look at the commitment level to Paul, when, when the jail cell comes for Paul, when persecution comes in the life of Paul, Paul was faithful when he felt like God wasn't moving. And so as we'll see in verse 17 and 18, he was willing to be a vessel poured out for God's service in the midst of trials because he was faithful in all things. He was committed no matter what. And sometimes I wonder, am I? Am I committed when I feel like God's not moving? Am I committed when I feel like persecution comes? And am I committed when I feel like a life is grand and life is fine? Where's our commitment level to the cause of Christ? Philippi, he says, what Jesus should, should, has done in your life, the effects of what Jesus has done, should move you to stepping out of your comforts, essentially for this reason, so that God can comfort you. Step out of your comforts with fear and trembling, 
so that God can actually be your comfort. Philippi, I'm not your comfort. God's your comfort. Let, let him, whether I'm here or not, I, I'm present or absent, a step out, strengthen your faith so that you can actually be comforted by God. And, you know, maybe this morning God wants us to exercise our faith and step out of our comfort zones in, in certain areas. Maybe God wants us to finally share the gospel with that coworker and step out by faith and, come, and step out of our comforts. Maybe God wants us to step out in a greater form of generosity. Maybe God says you've been comfortable for far too long and I want you to step out by faith so that I can comfort you, so that we can be stronger. You know, if I went to the gym every day to do one workout, right? I go to the gym, stretch it out, how they do. It's been a while, and, and this is 25 pounds, just so you're impressed, but, uh, <laughs> right? I, I asked Brett, he said, I only have 50s. I'm like, what, what, what is this guy, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we do have 50s upstairs, but I lifted those up, and I was like, no way. Uh, all right. So, uh, so anyways, I go to the gym, stretch it out, right? And, and, I, and I get up, look in the mirror, because you have to grab the weight and look in the mirror. It's what you have to do. And, and I do one, one rep. Okay, that's 10. We're going to count by twos, though. Six, eight, 10. Next arm, two, four, six, eight, 10. All right, sit it down. Go home, Okay. One workout, next day, same thing, pick up the weight, stretch it out, of course, 10, 10 each side, I'm not going to do it again. Next day, go home, come back the next day, pick it up again, stretch it out, 10 biceps again, what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. You do that every day. Nothing happens. There's no growth because there's really no strain. There's no growth because there's really no strain. And Paul says, exercise your faith so that there's strain with fear and trembling, with resistance and trembling, so that you can actually grow stronger, so that we can actually grow our faith and increase our faith so that we actually grow. In fact, in the context, Paul will say it's not you anyways. Verse 13, look at it. It says this, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure, that you're saved by grace and now you're being sanctified by grace. It's actually God. What's God do in us? Well, first of all, he gives us energy. That word work is the Greek word energio. And I definitely butchered that one. But it's where we get our English word energy. And I love this reality that God is actually working in you. You, ever, you, you, you comprehend that sometimes? Just sit in your bed and think about that reality that God is working in your life. We go on vacations to see the mountains and the beauty of the mountains. We go to the beach for a few days just to enjoy the beauty of the beach. But the most beautiful thing that God created and he's continued to work in is you. That's crazy. That God is working in each of our lives and he wants to continue to energize us. Wiersbe says it this way, God must work in you before he can work through you. So this is to believers and without spiritually without spiritual energy from God, we cannot produce spiritual fruit for God. So he gives us the energy to do his will. He gives us the enabling to do his will. He, he energizes us, but then secondly, we see he empowers us. It says to do his will. It says to do, uh, he does it for his good pleasure. So many people want to do right, but they struggle to do right because they do it in their own power. Maybe you've prayed a prayer similar like, Lord, uh, submit my will to your will. Submit my will to your will. 
Ephesians 2.10 will speak to this nature where he says that God, is a, God has actually um, prepared us the way to walk. That if we're a, we're a believer, that he's actually prepared our steps. He, he's kind of predestined the way that we should go. He has a purpose. He has a will for our lives if we know him. And, and so we should walk in those. He, he empowers us to do it. And, and I love that God doesn't just save us and, and, and disconnect, but God has a purpose that he's planned for our lives that he wants each of us to walk in. He gives us the energy to walk in. He empowers us to walk in those things too. It's all God anyways. So it's God's work, salvation. It's a continual work, the process of sanctification. And it's a final work. One day he will, glorif- he, he will bring glorification to us. It's God. The second thing I want you to see is this. The effects of Jesus should enable us to execute for Jesus. The effects of Jesus should enable us to execute. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, meaning pure, above reproach, where nothing sticks to you. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He says the life of Christ is not one that you have to endure, it's one that you're actually supposed to enjoy. And the best way to enjoy this life is to exercise what God has already worked in you, and that will lead you to a life of joy. Essentially, he says it this way, the effects of Jesus should cause you to not complain. (laughs) The effects of Jesus should cause you to not dispute and complain. And so how do we execute this workout? He'll show us three things. First of all, he says this, we should separate from poor motives. We should be separate from poor motives. The word without means to be separated from. And I love that he says, do all things without two things. Do all things without two things. What are they? Complaining and disputing. This word, uh, this word dispute means to be contentious. It means to cause division. So it says do everything without two things. Don't complain and don't cause division. That spiritual maturity in your life should actually remove complaining and division in your life. For, for the wrong reasons. Obviously there's some things we have to divide on spiritually speaking. But when Paul uses these terms, he's actually referring to Israel in Exodus. When Israel, he uses the same words. When Israel was in Exodus and they were complaining and disputing among each other because of, their, of how God was delivering them from Egypt, right? They're in the wilderness and so they're complaining, oh, Israel, or, or Egypt sounds real good right now. He uses kind of the same framework there to illustrate this is poor motives. They were complaining and Paul says, Here's what we need to do. In order to walk, work out our faith, we need to not do the tendencies of complaining and disputing. That we shouldn't dispute with God because his ways are higher. We shouldn't dispute with believers because we're called to be in unity. And we shouldn't dispute with unbelievers because they don't know Jesus. And so he says, put it away so that you can prove that you're a child of God. Put it away so you can prove you're a child of God in midst of a perverse nation. Prove these Things. First Thessalonians 5.18 says it this way, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do everything giving thanks. He essentially says this, It will always be the will of God for you to not be selfish and complain. It will always be the will of God for you to not complain and dispute. Then he says this way, we should execute, not only should we put away poor motives, we should execute pure motives. He says it this way, that you may become blameless 
and harmless. Blameless is without guilt. Nothing sticks to you. Pilate said this about Jesus. Remember, I find no fault in him. You're without fault. And that's what he wants in us. Obviously, that's only accomplished through salvation and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives that we can be blameless. But then he says harmless. This word harmless is the same word that we see in Matthew 10, 16 when it, when it says you're harmless as doves. You can say it this way, you're hornless. What does it mean? Not only do you do no harm, but you could do no harm because there's no harm in you to do. You're harmless. You, you are harmless. And so he says, the children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And he actually quotes Deuteronomy 32. Sorry, I'm giving you references. Uh, but uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, when he talks about Israel not being blameless, but they're actually being perverse. And he says, if you're a believer, you're a child of God. And essentially he's saying this, you should not act like the, like the selfish, complaining children of Israel, but you should exercise your faith as you're pursuing pure motives so that you actually become stronger. In all things. And then the third thing that he says is this we should execute a powerful message. Because then he says it this way among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. That you should shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. That we exercise our faith to fulfill our place as lights in the world. That we actually exercise our faith to fulfill our place as lights in the world. Remember what Jesus says? He says, I'm the light of the world. Then later in his ministry, he says that you are the light of the world. What's he saying? You have a job to do. You have something to execute. You have something to live out. And as lights, we're, we're, lights are used to make things evident. That we're, we're to let Christ be magnified through us. That he should be evident through us. Lights are used to guide us. We should allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and, and, and help people see the light of Christ in us. Lights are also used for a warning. We, we should be the lights that are warning people of, of life without Christ. But then I love the next words that he uses in the Bible because it says holding fast the word of life. That word holding fast is used, uh, it's explained somebody who's kind of like a server, who, who they're holding, they're holding uh, your, your plate before you. If you've ever got a steak at a steakhouse, uh, the waitress will finally come up with the steak and you don't even know who's, who's holding it. Because you're focused in on, on what you're about to devour, right? You're focused in, is, is the steak just right? The focus is on what they're holding, not, not who's holding it. And that's what he says. Hold forth the word of life. That the focus is not you. The focus is what you're holding. You're the light of Christ. But the focus is what is the gospel. It's what you're holding. You know, sometimes light can be irritating, right? If you, if you have a kid, you probably know this, where they get up before you and all of a sudden they go into your room. Aislinn does this. She goes into the room and she gets her little, little stool and she puts it on the bed and flips the light on. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, whoa, turn that off. If she can't get high enough to actually turn it off, she only has enough energy to turn it on. And that can put you in a bad mood real quick, right? Because light is irritating at times. And I love that he puts this in context because he says, you're the light of the world. But sometimes that light can be irritating. And so when you hold forth the word of life, the irritation is in what you're holding, not in who's holding it. That, that, that the gospel it should be, if anything irritates, it should be the gospel. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be you. You're holding forth the word of life. And so execute by refusing poor motives, pursuing pure motives, and proclaiming the powerful message of Jesus. And the last thing is this. The effects of Jesus should cause us to rejoice. The effects of Jesus should cause us to rejoice. Verse 16, so I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in 
vain. Paul's entire ministry was focused on the day that he will meet Jesus. It was all about the day that I'm going to see the face of God. His goal on earth was to do everything that he could to rejoice in that day. And so he says, hey, follow God so that I may rejoice, so that I, I, what I've done will not be in vain. Now, personally, I don't believe that well, if, if Philippi would have thrown this text away, I don't believe that Paul's ministry would have been vain. I think it's clear that God sent Paul there. Uh, it, was, it was God's plan for Paul to go there the whole time. But I do believe uh, that, that I, I can understand a glimpse of the struggle that Paul's speaking of. Because if you ever influence anybody and they, and they turn away, you get this. Like, do they get it? Do they actually follow God? Do they believe what I believe? I, I was in youth ministry, and it always broke my heart when teens that I impacted would fall away and leave church and just abandon the faith, and, and, it, and it killed me. And if you've had a, a child who went wayward, or, or if you, you've influenced someone and, and they haven't stuck either, then, then you can probably feel that uncertainty as well. And so may I just encourage you that, that it's our job just to be faithful. It's our job just to, just to be faithful with what God gives us, and, and we plant and he waters, and, and, and that's our job, and we trust him, him through it. But, but, but I just want to make that note. But then Paul will turn to show Philippi a few ways to rejoice that I want to focus in on in verse 17 and 18 before we close. It says this, yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on a sacrifice in service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And for the same reason, you also can be glad and rejoice with me. The first thing we notice is that re uh, we should rejoice in laboring for the Lord. We should rejoice in laboring for the Lord. Uh, Paul said that it, he was being poured out as a drink offering. Well, what's that mean? This was true in, in Jewish and pagan cultures. Uh, if you were sacrificing an animal sacrifice, uh, you would sacrifice the animal sacrifice and you have a drink offering that you would pour out at some point over the sacrifice. And that was to symbolize a complete sacrifice. It was, uh, I'm giving my all sacrifice is what essentially you were saying. And that's what Paul was saying. He says, the effects of Christ in my life has offered, ha ha has, has caused me to say, hey, I, com I, I commit everything. I'm willing to be poured out as a completely, totally sacrificial servant for the Lord. That's what he's saying, in all things, I want to I I do this. But then he says this, you can rejoice with me, was the second thing. Rejoice with others living for God, because he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Don't forget, Paul's in, Paul's in jail. Don't miss the context. Life seems like it may be wasted, and yet he rejoices. And he says, hey, I'm willing to be poured out. Oh, and you, can re you should rejoice with me. You should, you should thrive, thrive for that context too. And so let me ask you this morning, are you rejoicing with what God is doing in your life? Are you rejoicing with how God is working in your life or are you busy complaining about life? Are you rejoicing or are you complaining? How have the effects of Jesus changed, not your life, not your eternal destination, but how have the effects of Jesus changed today? Changed the moments that we live? Are we rejoicing or are we complaining? Are we, uh, maybe Jesus hasn't changed your life and, and you're an unbeliever in here and maybe you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God and that Jesus came and he died and he, and he was a perfect final sacrifice for salvation. We've explained salvation already and, and maybe you just need to believe in faith 
in Christ and, and you can be saved and you can have hope. You can uh, have reason to rejoice because you know Christ. If you, if you don't know him, I'd love to help you know that. But let me ask you three questions. Are we allowing his work to grow in us to make us stronger? Are we allowing his work to continue to grow us, the effects to continue to change us, to actually make us, make us stronger, to put in the reps? Are we refusing poor motives, grumbling and complaining, and pursuing pure motives, harmless and blameless? And then are we rejoicing 